Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. There's a new Beauty and the Beast movie coming out, a live action one. Have you guys seen the trailer? For this, they just released a new full-length trailer. Are you guys Beauty and the Beast fans? Of course you are. You have a heart. Um, As far as I can tell, this is the plot of the new Beauty and the Beast movie. Um, A spell is put on Downton Abbey, and Matthew is turned into a beast, and all the household staff are turned into household items, and it's a spell, so they need a wizard to break it, so they call Harry Potter, and he sends Hermione Granger. She comes and breaks the spell, and everyone lives happily ever after. So, um, no, in the, uh, in the real plot of uh, Beauty and the Beast, you know how it goes. Uh, there's the, the rose, and the, the petals fall, and, and when the last petal falls, the beast's life is over, unless he learns to love. And so he takes the rose, and he puts it under glass, and he locks it in the West Wing to protect it. And... Uh, that self-protected heart actually leads him to chase Belle away from him, to chase away the the one who's trying to come and show him love. It's only when he's forced into a vulnerable position where he can actually learn to receive love and, and then actually give love that his heart is healed. The heart and heart that he was so aggressively protecting was the heart that was dying. But the heart that comes alive again is the heart that is freely given. I want to invite you this morning into a a healing for your heart. That as we look at Jesus' heart, which is broken for us, he, he would actually put his new heart in us, as we read from Ezekiel. That as we experience his heart of love for us, he would give us his heart of love for our neighbors and for our neighborhoods. So would you turn with me to Matthew 9? This will be our main scripture passage for today. You can turn with me in your Bible. If you need a Bible, there's some on the table over here. And let's walk through this passage together and see the heart of Jesus. Jesus has been traveling with a group of people, his followers, his disciples. We've talked about the pathway of following Jesus being people who come and see and then at some point decide to come and follow. So he's got his followers. And Jesus is telling everyone that there's good news. That's what it means that he's preaching the gospel. There's good news that the kingdom of God is coming to set things right. And as he's teaching people to repent and turn from their sinful way of life to live life in the kingdom of God, the life they were meant to live, he's healing. He's healing their souls. He's also healing their bodies, healing them of withered hands and healing those born blind and healing those who cannot speak and healing those possessed by evil spirits that control them and healing those with diseases. Jesus comes to heal body and soul and preach that the kingdom of God is now here in Jesus. And his disciples are there with him. And in fact, in chapter 10, he'll send those disciples who watched him preaching and healing, he'll send them out to do the same thing. 
But I want, want to focus not first on his disciples who are there to, to follow Jesus, but on the crowds who've come to see Jesus. In verse 36, it says, Jesus sees the crowds. He sees them. The crowds, they're just regular people. That's what that word means, just ordinary people. They've come, they're curious about Jesus. And when Jesus looks at them, he says that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed, weakened. There's been things coming against them. Chip after chip after chip that has worn them down. Helpless, a word that means to be cast off, to be thrown onto the ground. And sheep without shepherd. Sheep without shepherd have no one to protect them. No one to guide them. No one to guide them in living God's way. Instead, they go astray and go their own way, a way that's dangerous, that leads to suffering, that leads to death. They have no one to lead them, like Psalm 23 says, into green pastures and beside still waters. They have no one to, as Psalm 23 says, restore their soul and lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. They have no one to go and search for them when they are lost. And they have no one to lay down their life for them as Jesus will lay down his life for his sheep. This is the plight of humanity. This is where we all are. Harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd. But what does Jesus do when he sees these people? I imagine him not just seeing the aggregate, not just seeing the crowd, but seeing in a way that maybe only Jesus could, each person. He had compassion on them. Some translations say he was moved with compassion. He was moved with love. And to get behind this word a little bit, you can look at, this is an English translation of a, a phrase written in Greek that came from an Israelite idiomatic expression, an Israelite saying for the people of Israel, the place where they loved, the place where they felt was not the heart like it is for us, it was actually your guts. Jesus, is, it's a gut-wrenching experience for him. To be a little bit more specific, it's, it's actually your, your bowels, your intestines. And before you think that's kind of gross, I mean, we do say we love you with our blood-pumping muscles, so we'll cut them a little slack, right? But this is what symbolizes the place where you love from. I think we could say today, not just that Jesus was moved in the gut, but that his heart was broken. Jesus' heart was broken for people. And that's just the way Jesus is. That's just who he is. Throughout the Gospels, we see a Jesus who has a broken heart for people. In Matthew 14, Jesus would see another great crowd and be moved with compassion toward them to heal their sick. In Matthew 15, he would see a crowd that hadn't had a meal all day, and he'd be moved with compassion to multiply loaves and fishes 
to feed their bodies so as they go home, they would not faint in the way. In Matthew 20, Jesus is moved with compassion to heal a blind person who received his sight and immediately followed him. In Luke 7, Jesus meets a widow whose son has just died, and he looks on her, and he is so moved with compassion, his heart is so broken for her that he says, don't weep, and he raises the son from the dead. This is who Jesus is, is Jesus of the broken heart. And he tells broken heart stories for us to learn from and emulate too. In Matthew 18, he tells a story about a servant who's so in debt to his master, but when the master sees the servant, he's moved with compassion and he forgives the debt. He tells a story in Luke 10 about a Samaritan who sees someone beaten and lying on the road. And the Samaritan is so moved with compassion His heart is so broken that he cares for that person. And he tells a story in Luke 15 about a father whose youngest son has run away from home with the inheritance, has squandered it in a faraway land, has disrespected the family. But when the son comes home, the father's heart so breaks for the son that he runs to him and throws his arms around him and celebrates that he's come home. Jesus is the one with the broken part, the broken heart for people. His love would cause him to teach them about the kingdom of God, about God's way, to invite them into the kingdom, to feed them with miracles of multiplication, to heal every disease and affliction, to weep with them when they weeped, to laugh with them when they laughed, to eat with them, and ultimately to go to suffering of death on the cross for these people for whom his heart That is the heart of Jesus. But what about our hearts? What about our hearts? Our hearts sometimes break for ourselves. Our hearts sometimes break for people who are close to us, who we know, who we're connected to. Jesus would say in Matthew 5, You love those who love you. Don't the wicked do the same? In Jeremiah, God says through a prophet, your hearts are so deceitful. Your hearts are so sinful. Your hearts are so self-focused that you don't even even know how bad it is. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, that's that's the story of our heart. And that passage we read in Ezekiel actually comes from uh, an Easter service that the church has celebrated for centuries where we read through the history of, of humankind and how God has come to save us. It's called the Salvation History from the Easter Vigil. And that Ezekiel passage is in there because the story of the human heart is that our hearts have hardened. Our hearts have become hardened. The story of humans is that harassed and helpless hearts turn to stone. Our hearts get hurt. They get cut. They get ripped in two. And our hurting hearts harden under the scar tissue 
of pain and disappointment in this world. And in our loneliness, in our brokenness, we build walls of protection around our hearts because God feels far away. And it's hard to trust him to protect us. It's hard to trust him to be our refuge, our strength, our strong tower, and our shield. And so out of fear, we think out of necessity, we close the gates of our hearts. And we hire whatever other powers we can think of to co-opt to come provide security for us. We build walls of self-preservation that say, I'm first. We build walls of self-righteousness that say, I'm better. We build walls of self-sufficiency that say, look at my kingdom, I'm secure. That is the beast inside all of our hearts. Our hearts were not made to be self-protective, to be self-righteous, to be self-sufficient. They were made to be self-giving. Not to say, I'm first, I'm better, I'm secure, but to say, I'm giving all that I have. They're made to be soft because we were made out of the overflow of the heart of God to have the heart of God in us. The heart that breaks like Jesus' heart breaks in love for others, but it's calcified. And into the reality of our hardened hearts, God comes in the person of Jesus, and he says, I will give you a new heart. He says, I will put a new heart in you and a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. In Jesus, he wants to give us a new heart, his heart. He wants to move us with his love. I had a really personal experience of this a few years ago. It was a Holy Week of 2014, and Bonnie and I had been praying through this passage in Matthew 9 for about six months. And we'd been asking the Lord to send us out. And we felt the Lord leading us to plant a church. And over the course of those first months in 2014, the Lord step by step by step led us here to the city of Aurora. And on Thursday, Maundy Thursday of Holy Week, the elders in Aurora had said to us, please come and start this church, various pastors. And on that Monday, Thursday, we met with pastors at our sending church, Church of the Resurrection, and they said to us, this is the Lord, we're sending you out. We're blessing this. So I was serving that night during the Monday, Thursday service. I was a deacon at the time, and Church of the Resurrection, they used to, we used to do a prayer walk for two miles around the city of Wheaton after the service. And so as a deacon, I would hold the gospel book and walk in that procession through the streets of downtown Wheaton. And we would pray for the city, but I, I couldn't pray for Wheaton. I kept getting distracted. I kept praying for Aurora. I kept praying for this city. I'd only been here 15 or 20 times. I'd only met a few people. And the people I'd met had lived here for 10 years or 20 years or for their whole life. They knew Aurora. They really loved this city. I, I was, it was like the first few dates for me and Aurora. That's as far as we had, 
we were at that point. I just couldn't stop praying for her. And at one point I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm supposed to be praying for Wheaton. I'm praying for Aurora. I'm sorry. And I just felt the Lord really clearly say to me, no, I'm, I'm giving you to Aurora. I'm giving your heart to Aurora. I don't know how else to explain the love I felt because it was not mine. Jesus was giving me a little bit of his heart because he loves this city. And he loves the people here who are harassed and helpless, who are sheep without a shepherd. How do we get the heart of Jesus when we have hearts of stone? We cannot soften our own hearts. We cannot do it ourselves. Jesus tells us, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few, so ask, pray. That word means beg. Beg for the heart of Jesus. Ask for the heart of Jesus. Sometimes that's the first step, and we do it barely willingly. (laughs) When we pray that prayer and we open ourselves up to the heart of Jesus, do you know what? He answers it. He loves to answer that prayer because his heart's already broken for us. He wants to share that with us. When we ask for the heart of Jesus, what happens next? Well, first... We receive his heart. He gives it to us. And we'll begin to love others and we'll begin to give ourselves for others the way that he gave himself for us. We'll begin to give ourselves for others because they are people created with dignity and worth by God in his image. We'll begin to give our heart to others because they are people that Jesus gave his life for on the cross. And we'll see them not stereotypes or stigmas, not as the sum of their sin or their struggle, but as people for whom Jesus' heart breaks. Because our heart will be breaking too. You know, Jesus' heart is so big, it's for every single person. So sometimes he gives different ones of us or even different churches different tastes of his heart for different peoples. He places us in different places in his harvest. He places different people in our paths whom he loves, and he gives us a heart for them, people we would not naturally be drawn to, people that we may even find it hard to love. He gives us his love for them. It's supernatural. It's from outside of us. I remember listening um, as a teenager to uh, the pastor uh, at Willow Creek Community Church, Bill Hybels, who talked about when he started that church, God just gave him a heart for 40-something businessmen who were really, really successful, who had, to use Jesus' words, gained the world and lost their soul. Jesus gave him that heart. And as I thought about the different churches in our city of Aurora, I can see Jesus' heart in different ways in these different churches. As I think about the churches in our Anglican church family in the upper Midwest, We have churches that God has given a heart for folks who are on Medicaid and in nursing homes. We have three churches in nursing homes 
Because people have been moved for the heart of Jesus. Churches and college campuses, because people have been moved for the heart of Jesus, for students. I was talking with one of our sister church pastors. He's telling me about his group that ministers to students on campus, and most of these students are from overseas, and many of them are Muslim. And the Lord's just given his church and his people a heart for these folks. And a couple months ago, they baptized a Pakistani Muslim who had never heard that Jesus' heart breaks for him until he met this church whose heart was broken for him. See, Do you see how that worked? When we ask, we receive the heart of Jesus. Are there people in your life for whom you have a hardened heart? Where has your heart grown hard? Are there groups of people for whom you have a hardened heart? Beg the Lord for his heart. He will give it to you. We not only receive the heart of Jesus, we receive the eyes of Jesus. Did you notice that when we read it? We were studying this passage together at our disciple-making retreat a couple Saturdays ago, and someone in my group said, as we were asking the question, what does this say about God? They just said, wow, look at how Jesus sees them. And I looked at this word for see, and it's not just like, oh, yeah, I saw that sign as we passed it. It's a, it's a seeing that notices. It's a seeing that stops and really looks It's a scene that's connected to paying attention and to knowledge. Jesus saw the crowd, and and he had a spiritual understanding and a physical understanding of who they were. He had a discernment in the Lord. And when Jesus gives us his heart, he gives us his eyes so that we walk around with a spiritual sight, a supernatural understanding of where people are so that as our heart breaks for them, we know how to love them. Sometimes it is a word of knowledge that we would not otherwise naturally know about them or their situation. Have you experienced this, where you are praying for someone or someone is praying for you in the church, or even more, when it's someone who is far from God, and the prayer just, it's it's exactly where you are or it's exactly where they are, and you don't know how that happened because Jesus is giving you his eyes because you followed his heart. I gotta tell you, I totally missed this opportunity a couple months ago. I totally missed the heart and eyes of Jesus. We were having dinner with some people we'd known a long time, and I wasn't super excited about it, I wasn't praying about it, and we went, and someone got on my nerves. They said something very frustrating. I said something back. I got home, and the Holy Spirit just convicted me. I had not loved them. I had not seen them. I had totally missed the Holy Spirit at work. I had to confess that sin. I had to go back to that person and apologize What opportunity for what the Holy Spirit wanted to do, I don't even know. 
I missed it. But when we're praying and we're asking for the heart of Jesus, and when we're seeing with his eyes, then every conversation with people we know, with people we don't know, all these interactions become opportunities for Jesus to give us his heart, for Jesus to give us his eyes, and for us to follow the Holy Spirit into the harvest to show people the love of Jesus. Simple interactions, everyday moments in relationships become divine encounters with the Lord of the harvest who is trying to put us next to the people who are harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. People have eyes to see, people have a heart to follow. Um, This can happen in really simple ways. And so I asked Jason and Grace to come share a couple stories Um, They shared these at our disciple-making retreat along with about eight or nine other testimonies of just simple ways that the Lord calls us and gives us his eyes. Do you want to share? Yeah, as as context, um, Grace and Jason were part of a group last fall at City of Light that was praying this prayer every week. Lord, who are you sending me to? Yeah, um, I think the greatest thing about being in that group um, was just praying consistently about who the Lord would have us disciple. Um, And it just goes along so much with what you were saying. Um, At first, I was just drawing such a blank. I couldn't think of anyone. I couldn't think of who that would be or what that might look like. Um, And Jason and I have been through a year of a lot of transition, um, and I felt like I hadn't built any relationships yet that could lead to discipling. I felt kind of isolated and not sure what that would look like. Um, But I kept praying and week after week kept begging the Lord for his heart and his eyes um, so that the Lord kept turning my heart and shaping my heart um, to see and to feel his desires. Um, And the other week, I mean, we led this group like in the fall, and then just the other week, um, the Lord put someone in, in my, on my heart. And it was just kind of like a light switched on, like, oh, obviously right there, right in front of you. Um, but and now that I see it was obvious, um, because my heart had been opened, because um, God had opened it up to his desires. Um, and so it was just being a part of that group and getting into that intentional habit of consistently praying for the Lord to give you his heart. Um, and it's like Father Trevor is always saying, that's his favorite prayer to answer. So, yeah. um, My story is a little different, uh, maybe a little similarly, is that this was the first time in my life I'd been intentionally asking. just hadn't asked for this before. And so to actually ask the Lord, who is it that you want me to be discipling was a totally new prayer for me. Um, And I work at a Christian nonprofit, which doesn't give me too many opportunities day to day to be with people who are far from God. But I do have a number of family members, actually, and my family is relatively close, but a number of those family members are quite far from God. And uh, this was happening in the fall, which meant fall and winter, we have lots of holidays. My family gets together like four times within about a month, which is really rare for us. And so I just knew, okay, for these couple family members, for an uncle and an aunt specifically, I was going to be praying for them and for opportunities to minister in some small way um, to these family members. And 
So as we were in this group praying week after week, these are the family members I wanted to pray for. My aunt and uncle were hosting Thanksgiving dinner, and I was wrestling with how to be a good guest and also spiritually engage and have these opportunities too. But I was praying that the Lord would give me some opportunities, some type of way to, since I've had these people in my heart for a while, to actually be ready and be able to answer. What I didn't know is that we went over for dinner. My uncle's father was going to be there, and he's taken a very serious turn for the worse with illness and sickness. And my aunt and uncle had become his primary caregivers just within a month. And they, not only was it new, it was so hard. They were so exhausted. Not only were they caring for him, but they had other family members coming who normally didn't come to Thanksgiving, and they were just tired from the entire experience. And I, I really felt like I saw that. Holidays can be a lot of activity and a flurry, at least in my family it is. I don't want to know about yours. But I was able to see what they were going through. And the way dinner went, I, I was alone with each of them for just a few minutes, five, ten minutes each. And I got to hear their struggle and what they were going through and how it was hard and difficult. And uh, I was just so thankful because I was able to share how I, I heard them. I got to tell them I had been praying for them by name specifically. And I just felt a calling from the Lord to just tell each of them, just, you know, you're doing the Lord's work right now. If no one else has told you that, you're doing a really great thing. And uh, the fact that we really have that moment at their holiday event, at their experience, just being able to be prepared for that moment, which I didn't know was going to happen, was really a gift to me. And this group, these opportunities to weekly pray, pray, pray for a heart, for sight, to be ready and prepared, was a really special gift. Well, I started with Beauty and the Beast. Why don't we end with Dr. Seuss? The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. Could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. You know the story. The Grinch tries to steal Christmas. Well, he gets the trappings of it, the gifts and the food. But due to the kindness of a little girl, Cindy Lou Who, the Grinch learns that Christmas is not about all those other things. It's about a self-giving love. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light. He brought back the toys and the food for the feast, and he... He himself, the Grinch carved the roast beast. Jesus wants to grow our hearts a few sizes. He wants to take our hardened heart of stone and put a new heart within us, the heart of Jesus, and a new spirit within us, the Holy Spirit, so that when our heart breaks for what his heart breaks for. Jesus wants to free you from fear of giving your heart fully to him. Fear of letting your heart break for others. 
one of our bishops in our Anglican church this past week said, I wonder what if love actually makes us safer, closer to the heart of God and centered in the kingdom now at work among us? What if instead of closing our gates and our hearts, we could secure ourselves in that kingdom such that fear would be engulfed by generosity? How does that happen? It only happens when we see the heart of Jesus for each one of us. It only happens when we see the heart of Jesus for me. I had hanging on my wall for my whole childhood a framed verse of John 3.16. Maybe you'll see the reference at the Super Bowl this afternoon. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have life everlasting. And when my dad was a little younger than me, he heard that verse for the first time, and someone told him, put your name in that verse. For God so loved Dennis. And so he had made for me and my brothers on our wall a verse that said, for God so loved Trevor that he gave his only begotten son, that if Trevor believes in him, he will not perish, but he'll have everlasting life. This is how Jesus' heart is demonstrated for you. That while we were harassed and helpless, while we were sheep without a shepherd, Christ died for us. That on the cross, Jesus becomes harassed. Jesus becomes helpless. Jesus becomes a sheep that is led to the slaughter so that he can lay down his life for us to be our shepherd. This is the heart of Jesus for you. Each week when we celebrate communion, I say, take this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And when you encounter the heart of Jesus for you, then he can give you his heart for others so that what breaks his heart breaks your heart. I invite you into a few moments of prayer. I want to invite us to imagine ourselves in this story with Jesus. Just go ahead and close your eyes. Imagine yourself in that countryside as Jesus and his disciples come, and you're in the crowd. Imagine Jesus looking and seeing you. What does he see? How does he look at you? Does he say anything to you? Does he do anything for you? You can ask him to. And say, Jesus, show me your heart broken for me. Now imagine you're with his followers. You're with the disciples. And you see his heart 
for you and for everyone else. Will you ask Jesus to give you his heart? Jesus, give me your heart for these people. Who does he show you? Who does he bring to you? Who in your life is his heart breaking? Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.